2: What's going on and welcome into the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson. Hope everyone had a great weekend. We're changing things up a little bit here as we're going down to one podcast a week, but the guests will remain the same. So we're going to have two or three solid guests for you each week. And it starts this week with Antonio Daniels, television analyst for Fox Sports New Orleans and the New Orleans Pelicans. Antonio, first of all, thanks for coming on. And how are you and your family doing right now?
1: oh man we're awesome we are awesome uh blessed uh everyone is extremely healthy everyone's very healthy right now and um i i have no, I have no complaints uh whatsoever obviously it would be nice to get back to some sense of normalcy but you know my my, my daughters are healthy my son is healthy my wife is healthy and it's kind of giving us this time together that we would otherwise not have so um, I'm just trying to take advantage of the time that I have here at home with my family.
2: Absolutely. Well said, my friend. Well, the big reason why we're having you on today, obviously we really don't have a lot of basketball to talk about, but what's been kind of saving us basketball fans and sports fans during this hiatus has been the Last Dance documentary every Sunday on ESPN. And we're through six episodes. I know Todd Grafini spoke to you before the documentary started. So I wanted to at least ask you at first, what what have been your thoughts when watching the first six episodes? What stuck out to you?
1: Ah oh, man. Well, it's tough because there's a lot that sticks out almost each episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just like how it um, – how during this time, like you said it, we all need something, you know, as far as sports is concerned, something to kind of take our attention and take our mind, and, and that's really good. Obviously, you know, one of the best teams in NBA history. Um, and just – this gives fans – and those that really weren't around the Bulls organization at that time, a really good look at what the NBA is really about. You know, some of the things that happen, we think, it's just, we think it's just X's and O's and guys just go out there and play. There are so many things that are happening beneath the surface that impact what happens on the game, a guy's mentality, uh, a guy's mood, what a guy's going through, whatever it may be. And and this is bring a, bringing a lot of those things to light in the first six episodes.
2: Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were a rookie during that 97-98 season with the Grizzlies. What stood out to you about that season just from afar, knowing about what this dynasty could be and and how things might end?
1: You know, nothing honestly at that time stood out. You know what stood out was a year later when I was in San Antonio and we won the championship in 98-99. It was a lockout year, but also that was the first year that that Bulls team was torn apart. So if that Bulls team would have stayed together, our San Antonio Spurs team probably would have faced Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, and those Chicago Bulls in the NBA Finals in 1999.
2: Did you feel like that was your window, knowing that as soon as the the dynasty was broken up? I'm sure a lot of teams felt like that way, but I'm sure your team was one that felt like, hey, this is our chance now to, to maybe capture of one of, what turned into be many for the San Antonio Spurs.
1: Oh, of course. Like at that time when... You know, Michael Jordan is is no longer there and, and and Scottie Pippen goes on to I believe it was Houston and, and Dennis Rodman goes on to play a couple more years. Yeah, that Chicago Bulls team would never be the same, obviously. And that was at that time, that was the standard. That was the standard right there. You know, they won, I believe, a six championships in nine years, mm-hmm. and that was the standard. So when that team came apart, Now that basically opened the NBA for everyone else, similar to what Golden State has done, obviously in a a smaller cycle, but similar to what they've done. When Kevin Durant leaves and then uh, Andre Iguodala leaves and uh, Sean Livingston retires and Steph Curry gets hurt and Klay Thompson gets hurt, now what that brings is parity throughout the league, and now you will see so many different teams realizing and understanding that, man, we have an opportunity to to take advantage of this championship window.
2: Do you have a going-against-Michael-Jordan memory from your years in the NBA? Is there, is there one that you've had an encounter with him on the court, off the court, that you would like to share that you know, you'll always remember both, forever? Yes, both of them are from my
1: rookie year. Um, when I was in Vancouver. First, we had the same agent who was David Falk. So, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously, when people don't understand, like when you're in college and you're watching these guys play and, you know, you're watching games on NBC and TNT, and then a year later, you're that guy, like how eye-opening that is. And when we played the Chicago Bulls, that is the only time that I can remember being starstruck. So we're playing the Chicago Bulls, and – you know, you run out for warmups we're out there and we're warming up and we're warming up. And I just stopped and I went to half court and I just stood and I just watched Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and the Chicago Bulls warm up while we were warming up. So I mm-hmm. completely stopped warming up. I was just watching those guys like, Oh my gosh, like, I cannot believe where I am right now and who I'm about to compete against. And one of the, vet, <laughs> excuse me, one of the mm-hmm. vets on our team came and tapped me on the shoulder was like, Hey young fella, I I get it. That's Michael Jordan, that's Scottie Pippen. We got a game to play. So I had to kind of I had to kind of zone out. Like, oh, you know what? You're right. We ended up getting beat by like forty. We ended up getting our tails whooped. But after the game, uh, I actually had dinner with Michael Jordan and David Falk. So that was a night that that outside of the getting our tail whooped, that's a night that I won't forget.
2: Clearly, because you were watching him warm up, that was the reason why you lost by forty, correct?
1: Yeah, I think that's it. That may be it. Maybe I wasn't the only one that was starstruck.
2: Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Um, You know, what's really stuck out to me during this series, again, plenty of, of things like you mentioned. There's so many things that we can dive into but won't have the time. But Jerry Krause really sticks out to me um, and kind of how he's now remembered or played as more like a villain in this when he no really quite. put that dynasty together. Uh, For me, that was something that I really learned during this. Is that something that kind of stuck out to you whenever we've been going through this documentary with each time, whether we go back to the first few seasons, they were still at that point where there was animosity towards Jerry Krause and Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Has that kind of changed your viewpoint on the whole situation, knowing what you're learning through this?
1: No, because there's not a whole lot that I've learned as far as what happened um, and what went on with Jerry Krause. That I hadn't heard about throughout the course of my NBA tenure. Um, I, I tell you, the part that kind of, kind of rubs me the wrong way, I guess, is as you said it. Like he was, he was, uh, he's made out to be a villain. I, I, I get it. I get, it. but he also built that dynasty. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about it, you know, he, he didn't draft Michael Jordan, but he he hired Phil Jackson as an assistant coach and then had him replace Doug Collins. He found or traded for Scottie Pippen, brought in Horace Grant. So he had a lot to do putting the pieces of the puzzle around Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, you know, the Dennis Rodman, all of these guys. So he had a lot to do with the building of that dynasty. On the flip side, he had a lot to do with the breakup of the dynasty as well. And, and here's my thought process on it, Daniel. Mm. There's something that we don't know. Tony Kukoc came out a couple of days ago and said – You know, it's a shame that they're making this docuseries now where Jerry Krause isn't here so we don't get a chance to hear his side of the story, which leads you to believe that there's something that we're missing here. Because watching these, I have a hard time thinking that when you win six championships, you go three-peat, Michael Jordan walks away for a couple years, he comes back, you go three-peat, that the only thing that tore this dynasty apart was ego because Phil Jackson was getting more credit than he was. And the part about this whole thing that that just I I can't wrap my hands around is there has to be more. But Jerry Krause, obviously not being here, God rest his soul, doesn't give us the opportunity to hear the other side.
2: That's a great point. And we may never know about the other side, obviously, with him being gone. But it, it certainly was something that really stuck out to me. And also the other thing was well, this kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. But the style of play in the 90s, and we all know that the style of play right now is totally different than it was. But when you're seeing these final scores where the Bulls are winning uh, with a total of 87 points and 90 points, and you talk about the physicality with the bad boys and even that series with the Knicks um, in the Eastern Conference Finals, just how physical they are. I don't know how much you could get away with that or if any of it during this era of basketball.
1: Oh, no, you couldn't at all. Oh, my gosh, you could not at all. I, I remember when we played the Knicks in the 99 finals. Um, I don't believe one of the – maybe one time that we scored over 100. Either team scored over 100. And after that series is when David Stern changed the hand-checking rule for that exact reason. You know, you have NBA finals that are, you know, 87 to eighty. 75 and to, eight, to, you know what I mean, whatever it may be. So the, the scores are relatively low as opposed to what you see in today's NBA, where it's more free-flowing, you know, you, you see the physicality. That's the one thing that really stood out to me because you're so you're used to and you become accustomed to watching today's NBA. The lack of physicality in comparison to the 80s and 90s is something that has really stood out to me in this docuseries. And this docuseries, The Last Dance, how hard they played, how hard they fouled, you know, the 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 competition level, the competitive nature that was involved in every single playoff game. You don't see guys out there hugging each other. You don't see guys out there that are bullied. This is prior to the AAU era where guys are um, have become really good friends because they've been on the same teams growing up. This is prior to that. Guys disliked each other. You know, the big story now is Isaiah Thomas not being on the dream team. Mm -hmm. And the big reason he wasn't on the dream team is because he rubbed so many of those guys the wrong way because of his competitive nature. He had it out with Michael. He had it out with Magic. He had it out with Bird. He had it out with all these different guys. So this was a complete different generation. And you can see the different mentality in the 90s, in the 80s, in the 90s.
2: Yeah, I've been thinking about when watching this, what are some of the young players that are 19, 20, 21 years old thinking when they're watching some of these highlights and how it's so much different nowadays? It really is fascinating to see the physicality and the competitiveness, as you mentioned. Before I let you go, one quick question. Um, this might be a tough one, but if you had to after this docu series is done, which player would you want to do this again with? And it doesn't have to be 10 parts. We doesn't have to be exactly the same. And this person could be still playing or not playing anymore if there's one or two people that you would want to see next in this docu series about themselves who would it be
1: uh i would want to see a docu series on lebron mm-hmm. obviously because he came directly from high school um because of all that he's gone through uh throughout the course of his nba career you know uh being beloved then being the villain you know winning a couple championships making it to four straight finals And then going back to Cleveland, you know, after everything that just transpired with them burning his jerseys and so on and so forth, and then leaving Cleveland and going to one of the biggest brands in the NBA LA. Like, I would love to see a docuseries on LeBron and obviously Kobe Bryant. Obviously Kobe. And it's not just about his career, but also about life after basketball as well. The thing that people forget about Kobe, Kobe didn't come into into the NBA, um, that guy. You know, there were some there were some uh, bumps, some bruises. He had to learn. There were some airball shot in key times. And to watch him pick himself up and the amount of confidence that he exuded when he was eight and also when he was number 24 to post-career, you know, just enjoying his family, understanding um, his significance as a husband and as a father and, and him paying it forward to others like Michael Jordan paid it forward to him, just that whole side of it. So my two would probably be, uh, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, and 10-15 years down the line, I would love to see one on Zion Williamson as well.
2: Absolutely, and maybe you might be part of it, you know, being the broadcaster and all that, so it definitely would be fascinating to see, but I agree with you. LeBron James, Mike, or Kobe Bryant need to be the next two if they do this, but it's certainly been outstanding to watch this. It's something to look forward to every Sunday where you have two hours of uninterrupted great uh, docu series. and there's only four more left, unfortunately, so certainly enjoy the last four, and I certainly enjoy you coming on, Antonio. I really appreciate the time. Stay safe, and I look forward to talking to you down the road, my friend.
1: For sure. Anytime, brother. Anytime. You stay safe.
2: All right. right, You just heard from Antonio Daniels, Pelicans television analyst. Now we go back to television here from NBA TV host Matt Weiner. Of course, he's part of uh, new episodes of Game Time, the network's signature show. You can hear it uh, or watch it, I should say, Monday through Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Central Time. And Matt's gracious enough to join us now on this Thursday podcast. Matt, first of all, how are you and your family holding up right now?
0: Hey, Daniel. Well, thanks for having me on. We're uh, we're doing okay. I mean, you know, we're we're trying to find ways to be productive, to keep the kids engaged in school here for the last few weeks. Um, my wife started a business in health coaching a while back and, and actually most of it is home-based, so she's been able to continue that and actually progress a little bit, which has been nice. And for me, you know, it's limited TV stuff, um, but I've found other things to get on. I, I have a couple of little writing projects I'm trying to do. I may be in the best running shape of my life because I have all this time to kill and it's one of the few things we can actually do. And uh, trying to stay productive and in the meantime, stay out of everyone else's way.
2: No, I hear that. I've taken five to six walks per day, it seems like now. So I feel like I've set a record with that with a stroller right in front of me. But you mentioned being productive. Uh, It feels like you are still with, of course, episodes of Game Time. Um, Of course, we see this all over television now with sports shows, news shows, etc., that everyone is working from a home studio. So if you can take us behind the curtain a little bit from an execution standpoint, how has that been going for you guys?
0: Well, I think it's been going as well as can be expected. It's it's weird. I'm not going to lie. It's it's a strange dynamic to do a TV show from my bedroom. Um, from the, the logistics of it, the technical part of it, we you know we had to all learn a software we weren't familiar with. Make sure it was compatible with our respective devices. They sent us uh, these these giant like gamer style headsets to plug in. In my case, a webcam that was better than the camera on my uh, on my laptop. Um, And, you know, you get used to it, but it's not the same as sitting next to people uh, who you've worked with for years and years and years and have rapport with and have chemistry with. Um, You know, you try not to step on each other, but it's a little more difficult to communicate that way. And I can't just look over with my eyes to someone I know really well and communicate, okay, I want you to jump in here or I'm going to jump in or, you know, that, that sort of stuff that comes up that you don't really think about all of a sudden what was second nature is something you have to think about a little bit, but, you know, by the same token, I think the guys uh, and and women who have produced these shows have done a phenomenal job of editing them together. We tape these shows generally, um, because it's hard to do live TV right now under the circumstances, and they've done a great job stitching them together and making them pretty seamless.
2: When it comes to your attire, are you one of those that is wearing a shirt and tie up top and then maybe athletic shorts underneath? You know, a lot of people are trying those moves now where as long as you don't see the bottom half, you're okay. Um, but <laughs> how does one, what kind of attire is going on here when you're, when you're on these shows?
0: Well, first of all, it takes me back to my local news days. Cause I'm old. <laughs> um, so when I started in local TV, you're almost always behind the desk. So yeah. as first the weekend sports guy and, and, um, you know, occasionally fill in on, on weekdays depending on the market I was in. In the summertime, I was very likely to be wearing shorts on those shows. <laughs> and just put just, you know, putting on a shirt that I had and a and a jacket and a tie. So there's definitely an element of that. But I the first one of these shows we did, they said the dress was going to be business casual. And so I sat down with a jacket and a shirt, you know, a button down shirt on. And I forget who I was doing the show with, but I was way overdressed compared to everyone else. So it's it's gotten very, very casual, like polo shirts. Basically, if I'm wearing any sort of a collar, I feel like I'm appropriately dressed for these. Um, and I don't know that anyone would care if I stopped shaving <laughs> or anything else, really. We're just trying to get stuff on the air and, and do the best we can. And I, I'm trying to
2: look presentable and, and maintain some sort of sense of decorum. Yeah, I'm very lucky I'm on a podcast where I have not had a haircut and not shaven in almost two months. So right now I'm able to get away with yeah. that. Who knows how long I can do that. But uh, my wife is starting not to recognize me. So I might have to try to do something in a little bit. But you talk about these well, shows. You, Go ahead. You know, it's funny. I'm
0: sorry to interrupt. It's, it's funny you mentioned the haircut because I just had my first haircut since the hi- hiatus this afternoon. Um, oh, wow. I had to talk my wife into it, into doing it. Um, mm-hmm. now, now, in Georgia, they they've opened things up recklessly in my opinion, and you could go get a haircut. I could go to a salon and get a haircut. Uh, I don't feel like it's the time to do that yet, so I talked my wife into doing it. I ordered some shears online, had them brought in, and she was terrified and, and honestly sort of miserable through the whole thing. Um, <laughs> but it it came out okay, It's it'll, it'll all be fine, and the parts that are not perfect will grow back and everything is good, and I feel so much better because it was kind of ridiculous. Does she feel better
2: knowing that it's done now
0: that she got it over with? No, so I think I think she's scarred for life, to be honest. And I told her I'll never ask her to do
2: it again. Yeah, first and last haircut for her. But it it's all about the effort. And so that's all you can do right now. I'm with you. I can't go get a haircut right now. And I actually I have family in Georgia too who are saying the same thing. So it's just interesting how this whole thing is playing out. But you know, of course you all are doing game time every day and without any games or news it's kind of tough. So for those that are getting into wanting to watch some sports and wanting to hear about basketball, what, what are some of the things you all are trying to accomplish with, with game time during this scenario?
0: Well, I mean, first and foremost, if there is any news, and news in the NBA has, has been, you know, few items and far between these days because the league just doesn't have much in the way of updates. But when mm-hmm. there is news, obviously we're going to cover that. We're going to talk about that. Uh, we've talked with our analysts a lot about what the season could look like if it resumes, uh, what what should a bare minimum be, uh, what considerations should there be for players for getting back into shape, getting into basketball shape, where the games should be played, that sort of thing. And then we've leaned on a lot of interviews with um, current players, with uh, you know all-time greats, Hall of Famers. The other day we spoke with Sabrina Ionescu, the first pick of the WNBA draft. So, it's it's been more interview heavy probably than usual in the absence of news and obviously highlights. Um, but still still relevant stuff. And and one thing I think the network has done really well has brought back a lot of these classic games with commentary from some of the players who have been involved. And I did a couple of these going back to the Eastern Conference finals in the eighties with the Pistons and Celtics, and we had Isaiah Thomas and we had Kevin McHale on and we had Rick Mahorn on for one of those and getting their perspective on those games thirty odd years later is is really been interesting and going back to watch those games and how the how the game was played uh back in the 80s has been really interesting i'm old enough to remember those teams but you know even i when i go back and watch them i i remember how different the game looked back then than it does today
2: yeah i mean that that is true and you know even just watching the the last dance documentary um just watching the difference in styles of basketball in the nineties compared to what it is now. It really is fascinating to see. I wonder what all these young players are thinking when they see so many hard fouls and low scoring games, it really has been right. kind of cool to to kind of go back and see how things were um, as compared to the style. Now. Um, another thing that, you know, of course we talk about the uncertainty right now, and I know no one really has a good solution right now. If they did, then we'd be playing basketball and I know safe health and safety is the most important thing. Um, With that being said, a hypothetical situation for you. Let's say you can get the health and safety checked off. What scenario you think would work best to kind of finish this season, whether it's a play-in tournament, whether it's bubble cities, whether it's arenas without fans? um, How would you see this playing out if you were able to make that decision?
0: Well, first and foremost, and and not to evade the, the question, but first and foremost, it depends on the timeline. And when David, uh, when Adam Silver rather had his press conference on May or excuse me, April 17th, I think it was, he quoted Bob Iger, the Disney chairman, um, saying that they're more concerned with the data, not the date. In other words, what uh, the medical folks, what science is telling us about uh, the virus and whether it has flattened and when it is safe to return. Without knowing that date, it's hard to really say what's a best case scenario. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I I tend to think that the season is over. Um, You're hearing more and more about a second wave that seems inevitable, especially with states increasingly open up uh, or opening things up, uh, trying to get their economies going. Um, I I don't know that there's going to be a safe time soon enough to resume the season. But if there is, I think it's got to be in one spot. I think you're probably looking at maybe a uh, shorter playoffs and, and not resuming the regular season. So things, things begin where they stand right now in terms of the standings. And maybe you have eight teams. Maybe you have four teams and you go to one spot, wherever that is, Vegas, Orlando. Because if you start extrapolating out the numbers for even a smaller team contingent, you're looking at probably 20 people per team. You get eight teams, that's 160 people right there. That doesn't include referees, doesn't include league staff, it doesn't include hotel or resort staff. Everybody would have to be there and essentially be quarantined for some period of time, and it gets really big really fast. So I think you're, you're probably looking at a small tournament-style uh, playoff with four or eight teams to, to close out the season. It's something that would take no more than a couple of weeks.
2: Yeah. I know Pelicans fans don't want to hear that scenario of going right to the playoffs, but it definitely is a realistic possibility, knowing what the circumstances are. And I think everyone's aware of that situation. So I I did find it curious, but right now, of course, on our podcast, we're kind of going back through the season for the Pelicans and how much of a roller coaster season it's been with all the injuries that start a 13 game losing streak, and then you start playing well before Zion gets back, and then Zion Williamson healthy, and the Pelicans, getting themselves right back into the playoff hunt. Um, from an outsider's perspective, from a national perspective, how would you describe the Pelican season?
0: Well, I mean, as much as, uh, as my former colleague David Griffin has tried to minimize um, Zion Williamson's presence in terms of it defining the season, this was always going to be a season about Zion, right? I mean, from yep. the moment he was drafted, from the moment they won the lottery, that's what it was going to be. And, I, and I, I love the fact that he tried to build a playoff team and a team full of veterans who could take some of the pressure off Zion, but the spotlight is on him. So, you know, ultimately, whether the season is over or not, it's going to be defined by what Zion did in his relatively few minutes on the floor. You know, having said that, Moving forward, I think this is a really interesting roster that can play a few different ways. And with Zion on the floor, has been generally really good. I mean, his his net differential, which is just under 14 per 100 possessions, is one of the best in the league. It's better than LeBron or Giannis so far, and in, again, a very, very small sample. And they've improved significantly defensively since he started playing back in January. They're 20th on the season in terms of defensive rating. But they've been eighth in the league defensively uh, since Zion made his debut. And obviously the connection with Lonzo Ball is something that just pops out at you right away. So when when I think about this season, I I really think about future seasons because you can see the potential with what, you know, what can be and and how they might build around this uh, young phenom.
2: Right. And David Griffin has said that, you know, his – you know, judgment of the season was going to be based on whether they were scoreboard watching and went in March and April and whether they were competing for a playoff spot. So and he said in the conference call a couple of weeks ago that he would consider this a successful season if there is no more season to be played. But with that being said, you know, the Pelicans had 18 games to go. They were right in the thick of things. They were supposed to play a big game against Sacramento, who was tied with them. But they were sitting ninth, three back of the Memphis Grizzlies in the easiest schedule left. Uh, in the league. I don't want to play the what-if game, but I'm going to just to make myself feel better right here. Did you see the <laughs> Pelicans potentially making a run and stealing that eight spot away from Memphis?
0: I mean, sure, they could. Um, you know, Memphis is a pretty inexperienced team. Um, there's, there's no guarantee that they play lights out down the stretch. Their schedule is obviously tougher. They've been playing in the neighborhood of 500 ball lately, so it's not like the Pelicans would have to go with what 18 games left. It's not like they would have to go 15 and three to overtake uh-huh. the Grizzlies. Um, it could be a 12 and six scenario, which is definitely possible. I, th- I think they're 11 and eight with uh, Zion in the lineup, um, so that you know that tracks. It's definitely a possibility. And and if look again, I find it really hard to believe that they're going to play as many as 18. But
2: Correct. if they do
0: come back for some truncated uh, end of the regular season. It's not impossible. That that actually would hurt them if they came back and played, you know, ten games or something. That makes the the task a little taller to make up three and a half in ten games. But in the in the hypothetical that they played it out, sure, absolutely, they'd be in it. I mean, Portland's also in it, and Sacramento's uh, put themselves into it as well. But but of course, the Pelicans would
2: absolutely be uh, or, or should be contending for that final spot. Before I let you go, I've kept you a little bit long here, Matt, but we you talk about some of the young core of this team. And, of course, you always bring up Zion first, which is appropriate considering what he did in such a short amount of time. But the evolution of Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram, and you can even go with Josh Hart, um, who's nicknamed the Junkyard Dog here. Um, just from that trade from Los Angeles to New Orleans, it took Lonzo a little bit to get acclimated. Brandon Ingram kind of clicked right away when he was healthy, making his first all-star appearance. What did you see from them as they grew with this young team throughout the entire season?
0: Well, you see uh, you see all kinds of potentials. what you see. I mean, Brandon Ingram has proven he can be a leading scorer. Um, can he be the guy on a contending type of team? I think that still remains to be seen, but he can be a legitimate scorer in the NBA. His three-point shooting has improved enough that he's not just a one-dimensional, one-dimensional slashing ball. pull-up kind of guy. So, you know, a guy who can score from different levels and in different ways. And Lonzo, you know, particularly with Zion on the floor, has has shown why people were so excited about him at UCLA. He's an elite passer. Uh, his, his shooting has improved tremendously this season and made himself someone that you have to pay attention to when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, because that, you know, that was the big question about him. Uh, when he's on the floor in a half-court setting, when he wasn't shooting the ball well, as well, you know, What purpose does he serve there if he doesn't have the ball? And he's proven he can shoot it a little bit now. He was phenomenal the last five games before the break. Um, You know, with with those two and some of the other young young players around them, starting with Zion, obviously, Josh Hart, good player, tough player, attitude, does a little of everything for them. Uh, I still think Jackson Hayes is going to have a long, long career as a screen setter Uh, defensive force as a lob guy as well I mean there's just a lot to like and ultimately if you trade away somebody like Anthony Davis that's sort of what you're hoping to get back is is assets and I think Griff did a great job with the uh, with the hand he was dealt.
2: No doubt about it It, it it's been fun to watch you know it's sad that the hiatus had to hit right when the Pelicans are really starting to turn the corner but we'll hopefully see them back whether it's this season For next season, Matt, I really appreciate the time. Um, Best of luck with the rest of the shows. Again, NBA game time Monday through Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. You can look for Matt and his new haircut there.
1: And uh, (laughs) Matt,
2: stay safe throughout this entire thing. And hopefully we're seeing you soon and and not talking through a computer.
0: Yeah, I hope so as well. We've also got an open court coaches edition that we're going to shoot in the next week or so. So look for that sometime soon. Um, Yeah the haircut i think will work we've got giant headphones you can barely see it and uh you can see my bedroom as well which is exciting um yeah thanks for having me on stay safe down there
2: all right that will do it for the thursday edition of the pelicans podcast presented by siki we were only supposed to do one podcast per week, right now as we're trying to wait and see what the nba does and continue to bring you some great content on the network but guess what we're going to give you a bonus episode tomorrow joining me will be Darius Miller. Of course, he has missed the entire season with a ruptured Achilles. We're going to check in with him, see how his rehab is going, where he's at, and also how he's been spending this time with his family um, during this NBA hiatus. Big thanks to Antonio Daniels once again and Matt Weiner. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow right here on the Pelicans podcast presented by C.